There's a bit in pretty much all conventional movies, just before the final act, which we might call the low point. Whatever the main character or characters have to do hits some serious hurdle, and the whole thing is in doubt. Think of when Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan Kenobi, leaving Luke questioning whether he's capable of continuing the mission without him, or Andy Dufresne in solitary confinement at Shawshank. Or the moment Morpheus gets captured by Agent Smith and Neo has to make a choice because, as the Oracle said, one of you is going to die. This is the low point. Anyway, we're not quite getting to the final act yet in this story. But in November, as the winter began to sweep across the Yangtze River Delta, I hit the low point. That's what this bit is about. So let us turn to the diary. Monday, 10th November. Jess's arrival has totally shifted the rhythm of my days. No more retreating to the confines of my apartment and watching South Park alone and drinking green tea. Now, I retreat to the confines of my apartment, watch Breaking Bad with Jess, and drink beer. She lives near the kindergarten, which is ten minutes away by e-bike. They gave her one especially. She doesn't have such easy access to the canteen, but she's closer to the shops, so she should be okay. Let's not forget, though, that Jess once told me that pizza every day was a good diet, just so long as it's balanced out with lots of apples. I stopped to watch Jess's class today. This is the first time she's really taught English. Her previous voluntary teaching jobs in Deptford and Sierra Leone were entertainment babysitting gigs. Well, maybe that's the case here too. Either way, her class was great, except for the fact that she can't really write a lowercase a, and for the entire 40 minutes she asked kids to spell words related to Christmas but this hardly mattered because the kids at the back couldn't hear her anyway. This afternoon, Jess and I were sent messages on WeChat by Shin from the HR office. She wanted us to judge a speech competition for grade 7. These were Penny's students, but apparently Penny had refused to do it. No one knew why. Either way, this was our only chance to be Simon Cowell, and one should never pass over an opportunity to wield that kind of power. Then Penny showed up anyway, so it's all a bit mysterious. Anyway, the first contender was a girl, tall with glasses. She told us, with such an impressive command of English, what her dream was. Put simply, it was to achieve good grades and always remember to be nice to other people. After the speech, we, the judges, asked her some questions. What would you change about your school? Who is your idol? Which she struggled to answer, but still managed impressively well in my books. I gave her 9 out of 10. The second student, a boy, then told us about his dream, which had some different verbs and nouns to the previous dream, but was effectively the same speech. Then another student came out with another achingly similar dream, and so on. The Sherlock in me was beginning to see a pattern, and I revised downwards that 9 out of 10. Anyway, I've started running around the track every night, which I should get to. That explains the long diary entry, Procrastination. Tuesday. Heat. Today I discovered why there was some confusion about Penny turning up to be a judge. They had asked her at the last minute. No, ask isn't the word. They told her at the last minute to judge this speech competition, and she detected arrogance and simply said no. She didn't explain to them why, but she did to me. 
She told me about the extra hours she'd been putting in, the frickin' above and beyond to which she goes. And I for one don't doubt her. She's got the energy of a puppy and it's all packed in tight and projected like a language vomit towards those struggling students of hers. And they expect me, she said, the last person in the world to even know about this event, to be there on demand, at a finger's click, she said, adding, well, I ain't taking orders from no one, mister. So Jess and I didn't really need to do it, but we each earned a little gift for our time. April, the Chinese teacher in grade seven, had an electronic heated warm thing sent to us by courier, or through some hapless faculty staff member. I still don't know who April is, but I said thanks to the messenger. The gift foretells of a cold winter ahead, but I think it's probably overkill. It's effectively a hot water bottle with a soft exterior to make it look like a rabbit, and a hole in it for your hands. Apparently you heat it up and just sit there, looking like one of those monks with large hanging sleeves. The water, or some gel, remains inside and is heated by some element which you plug into the socket. Watching with amusement as I eyed this gift, my co-teacher, Tian, who doesn't speak English, looked up something in the dictionary and just said one word. Explode. But I can happily report that this heated warm thing is warming my left hand as I write with my right, and it hasn't yet exploded. I leave it bubbling away in the socket for about five minutes before I warily disconnect it, and boy is it pleasant. I'm going to buy one for my mum. Let's see if British sockets can't make it explode. Tomorrow, Kelly and I are going to Pizza Hut with Class 1. Kelly is particularly excited. Wednesday. Nothing of note to report. Went to Pizza Hut. Kids very excited. Kelly very, very excited. I had a bad day. I'm knocking that new daily run idea on the head, watching old South Park episodes. Thursday. Meeting. The department had a meeting, but I couldn't have been more uninterested or bemused. I had fallen into a dark hole. Occasionally I woke from my self-involved stupor to telepathically ask my teacher colleague, Eddie, what are you talking about? He just went on and on, opining to the Chinese staff about the woes of the school, drawing out his words in limousine sentences. In the moments of whatever mild attention I could muster, I caught that Eddie was disappointed with the school's expectations of his responsibilities and the way that the Chinese staff refused to communicate adequately with him. I get back into the classroom and no one's there. No teacher, no sub-teacher, nothing. And this kid, he's eating glass. Literally, he's eating glass. I mean... What kind of problems do we have that this kid can't work out that glass ain't for eating? Sure, there's something to be said for observation. And there's something to be said for communication. And no one had asked me to be watching that class, and I'm not personally content to be held responsible for events like this. But who could have known that this kid was going to get up, walk across the room, and start eating glass? The word glass was losing all meaning. He said it with two syllables. Then Phil from Quebec had a rare word to say. 
he berated us all for the negative atmosphere and stated, as if he were the voice of truth itself, that some of us were psychopaths. People were allegedly swearing at kids, throwing objects around the classroom, and, quote, creating problems with the school out of nothing. Let's just quit with all the ambiguities, said Eddie. We all know you're talking about me. I'd appreciate it if you said it straight. Okay, said Phil. It's you. Apparently Eddie's been swearing at kids and throwing objects in the classroom. Not the expected demeanour of a respectable teacher, one might think. Friday, steak night. It turns out that the school is having some kind of mass date on Saturday. More than 100 bachelors will come here from the local engineering company, and they will have lunch in the canteen with the single women who work here. It's not what I would call romantic, but you can't say it's not efficient. They also do similar things for job recruitment. It's en masse. Yun, the Chinese co-teacher in Kelly's class, has to go, she said. It's a good system, she said, because it gives them a chance to meet someone. What with it being Friday again, Jess and I decided to go for steak. We went to get the e-bike only to find that only one remained, and the key for it was gone. That's two e-bikes, neither of which can be used. The guard's acting suggested it was Arizona man Don who had taken one of the bikes. He imitated how he hobbled, showed off his biceps. It was uncanny. So I phoned the man, and it turned out that he and the family were in the city, without the bike, but with the key. I don't need a lecture, was Don's response to my bewilderment. We took the bus to Jess's apartment, where, outside, was the other e-bike. The only answer was that it had been borrowed by Chinese staff, which was against the rules. Unfair rules, but rules nonetheless. Most days I wouldn't have minded, but this week there appeared to be some kind of conspiracy to ruin my life and stop me biking away from it. The precise reasons for this I have omitted from the story. Some things are just too raw. But I got myself into this emotional rut, and I wasn't at that particular moment handling it well. It was then revealed that it was Yun's Chinese friend Wendy who had taken the e-bike. Yun appeared out of the darkness to find me, telling off the Chinese for using e-bikes. It was not a good look. Jess and I slinked off to find something local for dinner. Next time on Stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you, you find a little comfort among Changshu's raging drunks. <laughs>